Well, as I thought about this week's message, it, it just seemed obvious to me that we might want to talk about faith. We've been talking about fundamentals of the Christian life these last few weeks, and um, it just, it like, it's the perfect setup for my Christmas sermon. So, uh, it just seemed perfect, and I just felt like the Lord was leading me to this text, which I read to you earlier. So I'm going to begin a little differently tonight than I normally do. Um, I'm going to play you a song as part of my sermon introduction. Um, Some of you have been around for a few years. I've used this song before as a sermon introduction. And uh, I want you to listen very closely to the words, and then I'm going to ask you what she's singing about. Okay? So let's, uh, let's listen to the song.
So what she's singing about. By the way, this is an American artist, um, singer, songwriter. Her name is Sarah Groves. Uh, she's not well known, um, but I've always loved this song. So what's she singing about? She says, something's changed in me. It's broken wide open and it's all spilled out till I had no doubt that something changed. I never would have believed it till I felt it in my own heart. In the deepest part, the healing came. I cannot make it. I cannot fake it. And I can't afford it. But it is mine. What's she singing about? Pardon me? In one sense. Pardon me? Salvation. She's talking about, I mean, if you're born again in here tonight, <laughs> you understand. She's singing about the miracle that God does in the lives of His children. Uh, that, 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 that heart transplant that He does as He removes that heart of stone and puts in that heart of flesh. It's what He said to Nicodemus. Almost a perfect Jew, no doubt. Paul was the perfect Jew. Nicodemus probably wasn't far, far behind him. But it's what Jesus... He said, you're nowhere, man. You're nowhere in your religion. It's what he said to Nicodemus. You're nowhere in your religion. You must be born again. And this is what Sarah Groves is talking about. This is what she is singing about. Something has changed in me. This is regeneration, beloved. This is regeneration. I always tell you, Christianity is inside out. It's never outside in. Christian religion is outside in. Biblical Christianity is always inside out. It begins with that miraculous work that God does in our hearts. So what happens next? What does she say happens after the change? What happens? And this is why I played the song. What happens after the change? I go to church sometimes. No, that's not right. What was it? It all spills out. So if it, you know, here's the text. This is James chapter 2. If it doesn't spill out, it's not biblical Christianity. You may be the member of some denominational church somewhere, but if, if the words of God and the life that God has called you to, if discipleship is not spilling out of your life, you're merely a denominational church member. You are not a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the clear message from this text this evening. If it doesn't spill out, it's not born again. Christianity. There's always this overflow in the Christian's life, right? It just, it just overflows out of the heart, out of the fullness of, of the awe that we have for this great God, the awe for the work He's done in our behalf, this great mercy and grace He's shown us, and it just overflows. It's almost like you can't help it. Those of you who are born again, you'll understand. It's almost irrepressible. You almost can't hold it in, Right? You gotta be in the world doing the works of God. You have to be. I have to be. I can't hold it in. It's what she's singing about, right? It's what she's singing about. It breaks open and it spills out. And I love what she says here. She says, Man, I, I can't make this. I can't make this happen. This is so huge, 
so massive, so supernatural, it's bigger than denominationalism. I can't make this. This She says, I can't fake it. It's so genuine. It's so intimate. It's so radically different. I can't fake this. Now, we know that there are billions who call themselves Christians who are faking it all the time. It's just, you know, whitewashed, as Jesus told the Pharisees, whitewashed sepulchers. And then she says, I can't afford this. This is so priceless. This change, this change that God has wrought in me, it's so priceless. It's so valuable. I can't afford it, but it's mine, she says. Now, why is it hers? Because she was smart enough to figure it all out, right? Why is it hers? It's the gift of God. It's Ephesians chapter 2. It's 1 Peter chapter 1. It's Ephesians... No, I already said that. I think there's another text, but I forgot what it was. Ephesians 2. It is not of yourselves. It is is the gift of God. God has made you alive. The first Peter text, God caused you to be born again. She's singing about this miracle that God has done in our lives. And we know, if we're biblically literate, what we're supposed to do with this gift, right? We're supposed to live it, right? We're supposed to live this gift. We don't just sit in a circle and talk about it. We don't just come on Sunday and, you know, wallow in it. We live it. That's what discipleship means. Jesus has never called anybody to be a church member. Go read the Gospels. You'll never find Him call anybody to be a church member. What He calls people to is to be a disciple. That's what you're called to. You're called to be a disciple. So what is a disciple? It's real simple. I follow Jesus. In my family, in my work, in my, you know, leisure, in my internet surfing, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. That's what I am. That's who I am. That's how I live. Real Christians do the Word, it's James chapter 1, verse 22. Real Christians are Word doers. We are by no means perfect, but we are by all means following hard after Jesus. There's this relentless nature to it, right? Yeah, I'm a sinner and I've got to come before the Lord and confess my sin and come clean, but man, I'm back on His heels, right? I'm back on His heels. I'm a relentless follower of Christ. This is biblical Christianity. A relentless follower of Jesus Christ. You guys know John 8, 31-32. If you abide in My Word, Jesus says, then you're word doers. If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You are free. You are free. In the world, you're free. Yes, we're free in here. But what he's talking about is you're free out there, right? You're free to speak the gospel. You're free to live the gospel. You're free to be the salt and the light that God has called us to be. Our fuel is not religious guilt 
and duty. It's not ought and should. It's I love Christ. That's our fuel. That's our fuel. I love Jesus. I, you guys have been around for a while. You know that I always end up back at Hebrews 11. It's the faith chapter. You know, it's the faith chapter. And God says, this is what real faith is. He defines it, then He illustrates it. And I think there's 16 named people. Maybe a few more, I can't remember. There, there's, there's at least high teens number of people that He has uh, used as illustrations. And there's, there's this faith spilling out all over the page, Right? It doesn't say, well, they went to the synagogue and, and had a good time and sang some, 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 some uh, psalms and, and heard the Word. Man, they were out in the world doing it. They were out in the world doing it. And if you get to the end of Hebrews 11, you get down there to chapter 12, verse 1, and God says, hey, this is what I want your life to look like. Right? This is what I want your life to look like. Hebrews 12, verse 1. This is one thing God is saying to us as we look at James chapter 2. I know you know it's true. Many of you have experienced this. I have personally experienced this in the church that I grew up in. There's this kind of denominational thing that happens in almost every denomination. And they develop their own formula. And so they have a formula for salvation. And like the tradition I grew up, the formula was, well... You go talk to the pastor. You pray the magic prayer. You, you acquiesce to be baptized. Uh, you, you perform the ordinance. And then you are pronounced a church member slash Christian. And you're, you're in. You're in. You did the formula, so you're in. I bet that's happened to some of you, if not most of you. You did a formula. The problem with these formulas, and there are many, I've studied them, <laughs> different denominations, <laughs> there, there are quite a few, you can't find any of them in the Bible. You can't find one of them in the Bible. One thing I don't like about denominational Christianity is you have religious professionals trying to manage the miracle that only God can do. I tell people when I counsel with them, Hey man, I, I don't have any. Ma- I'm not magic. I'm not a sorcerer. I don't have any incantations for you. What is Christianity? You've been born again, man. God's done a miracle, and and you're coming to Him by faith, right? Sovereign grace and faith. This is biblical Christianity. It's what you read on the pages of Scripture. So God is giving us... Listen, I, yeah, I never think anybody walks in here by accident. <laughs> Some of you may wish you hadn't walked in. Um, that's probably a common occurrence. But God's going to give each of us a reality check tonight. Okay? A biblical, scriptural reality check. Are you merely denominational? Or do you have a faith that saves? Because God's going to talk about a faith tonight that does not save anybody. And I, I guess it doesn't get any more foundational than that. It doesn't get any more foundational than that. So, let's take a look. Let's take a look at the text. God will put four questions to us tonight about faith. Again, He will reveal a kind of faith that does not save. And He'll use some 
powerfully descriptive terms regarding that kind of faith. The kind of faith that doesn't save anyone. So, again, a reality check for each of us. I'm in James chapter 2, verse 14. I hope you have a Bible or electronic device so you can follow along. I'm just going to read through the text as I preach it. Verse 14 to begin with. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Okay, these are God's first two questions about faith. Okay, He's going to ask four, and He's going to respond. He's going to, he's going to answer these questions uh, very emphatically, but these are the first two. I couldn't help but think of uh, an American engineer that was here like 12 years ago in Bible study. He would always used to say the same thing, right? I love this guy. He was really jazzed about Christ, you know. He was really jazzed about what it meant to be a Christian. And he would always just say the same thing. I didn't even have to, I, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. He would always say, talk is cheap. You've heard this phrase, right? Anybody can talk. Talk is good, but if that's all you are, you don't know anything about Christianity. You don't, you don't know the first thing about biblical Christianity if it's just talk to you. Because God is saying the same thing. Talk is cheap. Anybody can talk. Anybody can preach. <laughs> right? I stand up here and perform for you. You don't know if I'm converted or not. You assume I am. Maybe I'm just a good performer, right? Maybe I just am, am, maybe I just perform well. Maybe it's my job and I need a paycheck. You don't know what's going on in my heart. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But oh, guess what? God knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows exactly what you are thinking and believing and feeling. Look over, if you're, if you're on the, in the Bible or you have a, a device, look over at James chapter 1, verse 22. Prove yourselves... What? Someone tell me. Prove yourselves... Chapter 1, verse 22. Prove yourselves... Doers, doers of the Word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. So God has a very low opinion of those who simply hear and do nothing, as well as those who talk and do nothing. We see it right here in the first two chapters of, of James. Those who only hear and don't do it, they're deluded. How many billions of professed Christians are deluded? It's all academic, man. It's just academic. I believe some stuff. I did some stuff. I know God will be impressed when I see Him. Well, not according to... Jesus' half-brother uh, who wrote this epistle. Verse 14. Those who merely talk, God says, what use is that? What use is that for those who merely talk? I looked up uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here, the Message Bible, uh, of verse 14. He says, Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has faith? 
God says, what use is it if a man says he has faith and he never puts his legs to it? (laughs) He never puts his legs to it. He never walks into the world and speaks and lays his hands on ministry. And It's just academic. It's just denominationalism. It's just pseudo-Christianity as we talked about a week or two ago. Can that faith save a man? God says, can that kind of faith save a man? And God's answer to that question is in the next couple of verses. And I want to take a look at those. Verse 15 to 17. Look at what God says. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? This is God's third question. What use is that? Verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is, someone tell me, dead. (laughs) Have you ever seen a dead thing do anything? God says that kind of faith is dead being by itself. Which is a very important little phrase there. Being by itself. God says what good is faith if it just talks but it never acts. It never puts legs to what it says it believes. God says, what use is it to just talk? (laughs) Pretty frank questions. And then God answers His own question. It's no good at all. God says it's dead. God says that kind of faith is dead and And Eugene Peterson in the Message Bible, this is my favorite paraphrase of his in all the Message Bible. Again, a paraphrase is not the Word of God, but he's paraphrasing the Word of God. And I love what he says in James 2.17. This is what he says. This is how he paraphrases that verse. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I love that paraphrase. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Yes. It's like much of the preaching in the modern church. It's outrageous nonsense. Much of the methodology in the so-called Christian church, it's outrageous nonsense to insult God that religious professionals can manage the supernatural miracle that only He can do. I think it's a sign of great disrespect and I think God is more than a little incensed about the arrogance of religious professionals pronouncing people Christians when they don't have a clue. You know, what a a biblically literate Christian minister will try to do is try to understand this is what I try to do. I try to understand, is there, evidence of, is there evidence of true conversion? Am I hearing it? Can I see it? Do I, you know, in some sense, do I feel it? You know, you can't ever really know. And as I said to you earlier, you don't, you don't know who I am in my heart. Biblical Christianity is a supernatural miracle. And don't ever think it's anything less than that. If you think it's showing up for church and doing an ordinance, you, you, don't, you don't have any idea what the Bible says about it. It's outrageous nonsense to tell someone they're a Christian because they believe the facts. We're going to see in just a few minutes who else believes the facts. Who else believes the facts? 
Satan believes the facts. It's outrageous nonsense to say that if you believe the facts and you pray uh, magic prayer and you do an ordinance and you become a member of some denomination that you're a Christian in a biblical sense. You're saved. You may well be. But it depends on that change that Sarah Groves is singing about. And then it's the First John thing, right? What, the, the book of assurance. How, are we, how do we know we're Christians? It's not because, oh, when I was eight, I prayed the prayer. God help us if that's our confession. How do I know I'm a Christian? Because I love Him. I'm repenting. I'm believing. And I'm doing faith. That's how you know. God means for us to be assured that we're Christians, right? And the, just go read 1 John. It's what 1 John is about. It's what 1 John is about. God means for us to be assured that we are His. But there are signs in our lives, according to the Bible. There will be fruit, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. It's what Sarah... Let me just read to you real quick. 1 John... Chapter 2, verses 3-6. through Let me just read it to you real quick. You don't have to go there. John says, By this we know. How do we know? How do we know we're His? By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, He's a what? Anybody know? He's a liar. Now, this is not my language. (laughs) This is the Word of God, right? He's a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, whoever keeps God's word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. It's First John, man. It's just, <laughs> that's what it is. If you want to know you're a Christian, go read First John. If you look like First John... Good chance. That's what the book is about. God said the same thing through John. He's saying through James, God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. It is outrageous nonsense. And what does dead mean? You know what it means. It means your faith is lifeless. It's inoperative. It's inactive. It's powerless. It's useless. It's devoid of life. And that I'm going to use the verse, or pardon me, one of the words we used a couple of weeks ago. It means it's vain. What does vain mean? It produces no results. A vain faith produces no results. There's nothing going on here. Consequently, there's nothing going on out there. There's nothing going on in your family. There's nothing going on at work. There's nothing going on at the university. It doesn't change how how you surf the internet. You being a Christian doesn't change anything in your life at all except for the inconvenience of my, as my spiritual mentor used to say, the inconvenience of attending church on occasion. Beloved, if you're biblically literate, you know what I'm saying is true. You know, I said it to you the other day. Religion's just a lot easier. Pseudo-Christianity is just a lot easier. You know, you, you do the church thing and you try not to, as, as Francis Chan says, you try not to cuss too much. <laughs> you know? And that's, that's the sum and substance of your Christianity. I, I go to church sometimes and I try not to cuss too much. I thought that, I like, that's hilarious the way he says that. We all know better. We all 
know better. A dead faith does nothing, but here's what I want you to understand from this text. It reveals everything. It does nothing, but reveals everything. It's what God is saying to us in the text tonight. Did you notice the little phrase I mentioned to you early, verse 17? It's a dead faith being by itself. But I want you to understand, let me just interject this. You know, we're, we're Bible-believing Protestants here. We know we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Basta. We get it. We're not saying, I'm not saying, James is not saying you're saved by works. James is simply saying if you're saved, there'll be works. That's all he's saying. You're not saved by works. But if, if you are saved, they will be there. There'll be fruit. There'll be a genuine fruit of conversion in your life. So I don't want anyone to misunderstand. No man is justified before God by his works. That is heresy. That's work salvation. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. If you're a Christian tonight, it's by the sovereign grace and mercy of God. So Sarah Groves is right. If we've experienced real grace and been given real faith, it breaks open and spills out. This is what happens. This is what happens in the believer's life. Protestant reformer John Calvin said it perfectly. 16th century reformer, he said, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. There's no conflict here between uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans 3 and 4, and James chapter 2. There's absolutely no conflict. Over in verse 22, you can turn over and look at it if you'd like to very quickly. <clears throat> James actually illustrates the fact that the biblical faith of, uh, of Abraham's life uh, he talks about uh, he talks about the obedience to God with regard to Isaac. James says, "You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected." What does that mean? Perfected? Does that mean we enter into a state of perfection? I, I tell you all the time, we never enter into a state of perfection. We will not be like him till we see him. What's he talking about? He's just talking about a faith that's mature, a faith that's consummated, a faith that is realized, a faith that is visible and palpable and conspicuous. <laughs> everybody knows you're a Christian, right? If you claim to be one, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. There's no such thing as the, as I say to you often, a secret agent Christian. Jesus could not be more clear in the Gospels. You say, Jim, I'd, I'd like to hear this from the, words of, from the mouth of Jesus. Okay, I'll take you there. Um, many examples. I'll give you three or four simply for the sake of time. You, you, you go to Jesus' parables. Matthew 13. What will be evident from the good soil? What's evident from the good soil? Good fruit. It's producing. These are the words of Jesus. These are the parables, parables of Jesus. How do you tell a good tree from a bad tree, Matthew 7? By its fruit. How do you tell the difference between uh, the wheat and the tares, Matthew 13? How do you tell the difference? The wheat has, has grain. There's, there's the fruit issue again. What will be evident in the branch that abides in the vine? Fruit, John 15. 
It's always like this. Jesus could not be more clear. The Bible could not be more clear. Academic, brain dead, heart dead, acquiescence to historical facts and the performance of, of, a, of an ordinance does not equate to salvation. And God is being very clear. He's being clear and He's going yeah, to blow our socks off here in a few minutes with the comparison He uses. He's very clear about what faith is and what it isn't. If you go to John 15, I won't go there for the, for the sake of time. But I, I'd invite you to go read the first six verses of John 15. <clears throat> in, in six verses, Jesus uses the word abide five times and fruit five times. He says, if you don't abide in Me and bear fruit, the Father, will, the Father will cut you off and cast you into the fire. That's what He says in John 15. Verse 18. Let me take a look at that real quick. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Let me ask you this. You go to Hebrews 11. How do you know, how do you know Noah had faith? Someone tell me. How do you know Noah had faith? There's an ark in the backyard. Okay? How do you know Abraham and Sarah had faith? There's this little punk kid running around. His name is Isaac, right? So, how do you know David had faith? There's a dead giant laying on the battlefield. How do we know Moses had faith? He's taking the Jews through the Red Sea. You're not going to do anything quite as dramatic as that, most likely. But if faith is real in your life, you will be doing deeds of faith. You'll be doing them. You'll be slaying those giants in your life by faith, <laughs> right? Some of us have giants in our lives. Addictions and habits and thought patterns and faith is always conspicuous. If you call yourself a Christian but nobody knows it, you're lying to yourself. You're only lying to yourself. God knows your secret. God knows your secret. So in the Christian life, the biblically you know, born-again Christian life, the eternal life overflows into the temporal life, the spiritual life overflows into the physical life, and the supernatural life overflows into the natural one. This is the Word of God. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is what biblical Christianity is. The rest of the world is supposed to get a glimpse of biblical Christianity because you're out there in the darkness, right? You're the light. You're the salt. And they get some sense or aroma uh, of, of, of what Christianity is because you're walking around. And you're talking. And you're believing. And you're... Living by faith. So I'll just stop and ask you, are you living your faith? Is your faith conspicuous? Does everybody that knows your name, do they know you are a Christian? Can they tell? Can they tell without even asking? <laughs> How is your Father being glorified? in your good works. Are you abiding in the vine and are you bearing fruit? John 15. Go home and read it. Are you abiding in the vine? Are you bearing fruit? 
God is aggressively and powerfully refuting the false teaching that is so prevalent in much of the modern church that you can just believe facts and do an ordinance. That doesn't have anything to do with biblical Christianity. Some of you will say, some of you who are biblically literate will say, well, wait a minute, Jim. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 3 and Romans 4 that a man is justified by grace alone. So is this a contradiction? I've already made the point, but I want to make it again because I don't want there to be any confusion. No, this is not a contradiction. James elucidates Paul and Paul elucidates James. Okay? So we get a full-orbed view of what God is saying to us regarding faith and works. Let me read to you from one of my favorite preachers in the States. I quote him often, John MacArthur. It's about five lines. Just pay attention. I want you to hear this. Listen to how he says it. He says it perfectly. James and Paul are not standing face-to-face in confrontation, but are standing back-to-back fighting a common enemy. Paul is fighting those who want salvation to be earned by works, which we know it's impossible. Paul says it's impossible in a Christian context. James is fighting those who want salvation that brings no change in the life, right? So Paul is saying salvation is only by grace. James is saying salvation by grace will produce the works. There is no argument, disagreement, or tension between them. I hope you understand that. It's like, I don't know what's going on with the Catholic Church. They can't get this right. Actually, I do know what's going on. You know, I, I am always astonished at the confusion on this point. I don't really think it's genuine. I think it's a manufactured controversy between religious professionals. I really think an eight-year-old can understand the text. I always like preaching James, too, because I, I remember telling Karen the first time I preached it. She walked in. She said, how's it going? I said, man, this is a slam dunk. An eight-year-old can preach this. You have to be a Ph.D. or a pope or something to mess it up. So... Or, you know, some famous preacher from Nigeria, or I'll, I'll pick on my home country, some famous preacher in the U.S., some guy down in Houston, the most famous. Well, I, I won't even go there. So, you know, my point is, and if you have a, a, a well-orbed view of, of what the Bible's saying here, Paul and James are right together. There is no contradiction. There is no tension. Let's finish. John, uh, verse 19. God says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You believe intellectually that God is there? Only the fool doesn't believe that. You haven't really accomplished anything. The Bible says, you believe intellectually, that's great. That's really good. Satan believes it. Every last demon believes it. I love what I heard John Piper say one time. The devil's problem is not doctrine, it's delight. I love that. There are billions of people who say they believe in God. So what? Only the fool says there is no God. (laughs) So if you're not a fool and you say there is a God... Wow, that puts you in like with what, 98% of the rest of the world. This is not an academic and doctrinal issue. This is a delight issue. Do you delight in God? 
<laughs> you know, I love that quote. I absolutely love that quote. I love what MacArthur says here. He says, there's no such thing as a liberal demon. Okay, They believe the Word of God. Did you see it in the text? They believe it and they tremble. When was the last time you trembled before the Word of God? Right? Hey, they don't have some nonchalant, casual relationship with the Word of God. They actually believe it and they know their judgment is coming. You can read it in the Gospels. They know their judgment is coming and they tremble before this awesome God. When was the last time you trembled before an awesome God? Beloved, There's such a superficiality in the modern church. All is good. And I encourage those I'm allowed to teach and counsel, all is good. You need to, you need to learn how to practice awe in your life. You need to be in awe of your Creator. Because He indeed is an awesome God. With respect to Satan, it's not about simply knowing that it's true. He knows it's true. It's about, as Sarah sings, living like it's true. That's the text. It's not simply knowing it's true. It's living like it's true. That's biblical Christianity. That is biblical Christianity. And God drives the point home as, as powerfully as He can. Man, if, you, if your faith is just academic, if it's just intellectual, you're, just, you're no better than the demons. I don't know how much stronger He can say it. I really don't know how much stronger He can say it. Verse 20, God says, Are you willing to recognize that faith without works is Useless. One translation says it's vain. One says it is senseless. So God is as clear as He can be. He's overwhelmingly clear on this point. Faith without works, it's a sham, it's a pretense, it's a, it's a charade, it's a lie. It's just pseudo-Christianity. It's denominational religion. The one who hears without doing is deluding himself, James 1.22. The one who talks without doing has a dead, useless faith, James 2.17 and 20. There's, a, there's an account told about an African missionary. He tells the story of a tribesman who came out of the bush. And he says, I want to know what you teach. And the missionary said, have you heard about Christianity? He says, no, I've seen it. That's why you're still walking around. Some of you still think life is just about having a great career, accumulating some money, having some nice relationships, having a cool computer, going on nice vacations. Those are nice things. Those are great blessings from God. But that's not why you're here. You're here, so someone like the tribesman would come up to you or come up to someone else and say, hey, what is this, what is this Christianity thing? I'm watching it. I'm watching it right here in front of me. They live it. How do you live like that? Why do you live like that? God means for you to be the light out there, beloved. It's what He means for us to do. It's Hebrews 11. 
I want to say to you, your deeds of faith are your best evangelism. Some of you say, well, I'm not a good evangelist. I, I hear this a lot. Oh, I'm not a good evangelist. How do you know? <laughs> your evangelism, it's in your deeds, man. Yes, it's in your words. Of course it's in your words. Of course you must speak the gospel in a way that's understandable and, and intelligible, but it's in your deeds. It's in your deeds. So God is giving us a reality check tonight. All of us in this room, do we have a faith that saves or one that does not? So, what is the signature of your life? What is the focus and thrust of your daily existence? Are you a person of faith and is it conspicuous in your life. Jesus said, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor a bad tree which produces good fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. Matthew chapter 7. So Sarah Groves is right. Biblical Christianity is not some religious or denominational formula. It's a radical, supernatural change in the heart. And if it's happened in the heart, it'll spill out. If it's happened, it will spill out. It's not hard to know if you're a Christian or not. You know, people come and ask me. And I understand this, man. I had a crisis of faith some years ago. I understand it. Sometimes we have a crisis of faith. But you know what? You just got to be in 1 John and understand what 1 John is saying. Don't come to me and ask me if you're a Christian. I have no idea if you're a Christian. But God knows, and the Holy Spirit knows, and if you go read 1 John, you'll know. This is just a question I'll never answer. Do you think I'm a Christian? I have no idea if you're a Christian. I have no idea. I know what you profess. I know that you attend church sometimes. I know X, Y, Z about your life. You look like a decent fellow. You pay your taxes. You don't kick the dog. You know? Seem like a good fellow. I have no idea if you're a Christian. Only God, you got to go talk to God about that. He's the one who can answer that for you. So, as we enter the Christmas season, you'll, know, you'll understand more next week because this tees up my Christmas sermon. If we have been begotten of God, if our faith is real, it will break open and it will spill out. Because God says, faith without works is dead. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that the Word is unmistakably clear. There's no confusion here. There's absolutely no confusion here. We understand exactly what's being said. If faith is not manifested in the life it does not save. It is dead. It is useless. It's what You're telling us in this powerful letter. So Lord, first we thank You for the Word. We thank You that You won't allow us to be deceived if we'll just simply open the Bible and read it. You've given us Your truth. And it's a beautiful truth. But Lord, there may be some here that have been deceived. There may be some here who lean only on 
believing or mentally acquiescing to facts and they lean on some religious ceremony they were involved in. Lord God, I pray if that's, if that's true that You will convict hearts that we would not be satisfied with some denominational definition of what saving faith is, but we would only hold to what You say that it is. It's not just believing stuff, it's living stuff. It's living Your Word. So Lord, we ask for Your help. If we need understanding, we pray Your Spirit would give it to us. If we need courage to go out in the world and incarnate the Word, we pray that Your Spirit would give us the courage. Life's too short. We are vapor. We are breeze. We are grass. We are passing through quickly. We're headed to the hole in the ground. And we will stand before You soon. Lord God, I pray that we would not be guilty of merely believing facts. There's too much at stake. So Lord God, we praise You and we love You. Thank You for this Word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and I'll read a benediction and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Don't forget, next week, fellowship. Good food. You bring some, right? Bring, uh, bring food. Finger food. Bring drinks. Bring chips. If you can help Karen with the coordination of it, that will be great. I uh, hope you'll come. It's our last uh, service of the year. I hope you can come and, and worship with us and uh, have a good time of fellowship with us. Say goodbye to Rohan. He's leaving. Uh, he'll be back after... He'll be back after the holidays, but this is his last time with us. So you can—is anybody else last time with us before you break for the holidays? Okay, be sure to say goodbye to Rohan. God bless. Have a great week.